episode 67 with Brian Fraser. Uh, this was a great conversation. I learned a lot, very inspirational. Uh, Brian is a great manager. Uh, he works for Red Light Management and looks after the careers of uh, Craig Morgan, Cadillac 3, among many others, Christian Bush as well. And I really love this conversation. Uh, there's lots of great history about starting off in the industry, working your way through uh, from being a musician to road managing, uh, all the way up through radio promotion, up right into management. Uh, there's a great story here. I know you're going to really enjoy this one for sure. Also, don't forget our sponsors, Music City Canada, based out of London, Ontario. Great guys there. Great pricing. They'll ship right to you. Check them out at musiccitycanada.com. Also, Morning Buzz Coffee Company. That's morningbuzzcoffee.buzz. Uh, fantastic blends. And a couple of musicians that own that. I love these guys. They're doing a bang-up job. Uh, he's got these really cool mugs that he's got in. You check those out. Buy those. Buy some coffee. And uh, support uh, Morning Buzz Coffee. Also, uh, Stickman Clothing Company, based out of Regina, Saskatchewan, and uh, some good friends that own that particular company, and they have some cool, cool uh, clothing wear. Uh, just go right to their site, check out everything they have, and they'll ship right to you as well. All right, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit the subscribe button and see all the upcoming uh, podcasts with some fantastic guests coming up. And same thing if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify or any of those great platforms, make sure you uh, hit the uh, like buttons and leave a comment, uh, star, a five-star rating. That'd be awesome. And that uh, helps us uh, get up the chain a little bit. Also, uh, all my links are available at getmypodcast.com. So you can do that. Check that out. All right. This is a fantastic podcast with Mr. Brian Fraser. Okay, we are here with Brian Fraser. It's nice to have you on the podcast, sitting in uh, lovely, sunny down. Are you in downtown now? Are you outside? Uh, are you at home in uh, in Nashville? Well, I'm home, man. I yeah, I, yeah I'm in uh, about 20 minutes south of uh, Nashville, um, yeah. in right. a little little town called Brentwood. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Nice area to be. Yeah, it's great. It's beautiful. I've been working from home since March. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I've, I've only went down into Nashville to the office, maybe, I don't know, uh, about once a month, maybe twice a month in the summer, uh, just for whatever various meetings we needed to do. Yeah. Or I might needed to meet somebody down there or something. But other than that, I have, I've stayed within maybe five, six mile radius of my house. It's been awesome. I, since I was 23, 24 years old, this is the least amount of travel that I've done um, since then. Since wow. I got out of college, it's crazy. Yeah, same for me. I, I haven't been anywhere, and it's sort of like all my uh, all my points, airline points, are disappearing. <laughs> it's yeah, sort of like, same. <laughs> I, I was I was looking at that over the break. I'm like, oh man, I'm losing all my points. You know, yeah. I got to use them up. Uh, and I've got, you know, uh, I was actually in London when uh, when things got shut down. I had just been. I was over there with Cadillac Three and Lindsay L. I was still managing her at the time. Yeah. And so, and both of them were on the C to C shows and we had just done, uh, Germany, uh, Berlin, and we'd done Amsterdam and I had been traveling with them. And then I actually got a hitched ride on the band bus, uh, for the Cadillac three hitched overnight ride to, uh, London with them after Amsterdam. And, um, we were in Amsterdam or not, we were in London about three days and it, you know, the whole three days were there, all the discussion, are we going to cancel? What's going to happen? 
we, we had a week of stuff lined up leading into their, their performance at CDC. They were going to be direct support to Eric Church on at O2 Arena. And it was, it was a big look, really yeah. big look. And, um, and then on the other shows as well, the other two, you know, um, uh, Glasgow and Dublin. And, um, and it was Wednesday. The, the show was Friday, Wednesday night. I was actually up watching, uh, you know, the, the presidential uh, address on COVID, how they were going to close all travel to Europe, to and from Europe. And I, it was like two o'clock in the morning over there. And I was on and I was watching it on my computer, sitting on the on the hotel room bed. And, and my wife called me. She said, you guys need to get the heck out of there right now. And I said, I'm already on the airline. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, we had turned it around and uh, they had canceled. You know, they told us they were canceling the next morning and all this stuff. And we we were. We, I mean, we, me and the tour manager for the band split the work and we jumped on booking travel and ground transportation that night, had it done by like three 30 in the morning and we're out the door into the airport by eight 30. Yeah. And, um, and it was like that scene in, uh, in world war Z when they're trying to get out of Israel, and, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> it, that's what it felt like. Yeah. Um, and then some of the folks that didn't really see that address and didn't get up till the next day, maybe late in the morning, they had, they, they were missed. They had three days of just terrible travel and oh, yeah. waiting in airports for days at a time. It was terrible. So we really got out of there by the skin of the team. Anyway, all of that to say, I've been working from home since then. So how do you like that? Have you got accustomed to being at home? Is it a good thing? Is it, um, I know for I me, it. it's been great. Yeah, yeah man, I, I do. I love it. I, def, I mean, I, you know, my world has been flexible for years now, yeah. um, since 2012 and my work life. And, um, but I've always had travel or I've always had an office to go to or something like that. So there was, there were periods where I might work from home one day a week or, um, but I'd never had it set up right. You know, um, yeah. my office, I have an office in my house and it was really just a catch all for everything. But since, uh, when we realized that, you know, this is going to be, we're going to be doing this for a while, um, you know, just rearranged the office, got the right equipment in here, bought a better monitor, you know, things like that, all the stuff you need. Yeah. So now I've got, I mean, really, I, I'm, I'm really happy. I don't know that I will go back to an office actually. Yeah. Uh, I've actually told our, our, the, the, the CFO at Redline, I said, don't count on me coming back next to the off into the office for you know, 21, because why, why would I, I'm here, you know, it's like, yeah. I got everything I need and I can work from anywhere in the world. As long as I've got my telephone and broadband service, I can do anything I need to do. And you know, it's, it's, I really enjoy it. It's an interesting thing that's going to happen over the next year or two is that mm -hmm. companies like yourself, I mean, you think of all the companies where people work at home, where they can successfully work at home yeah. and they're looking at why do I need like this piece of real estate downtown or with a bunch of offices and paying for all that. Um, I mean, I guess it's, it, it's good when, all the wheels are running and money's all coming in. But even still then you think of that money being saved um, mm -hmm. and put towards other things. Um, mm -hmm. It's a big chunk of change. hundred percent it is. Yeah. I mean, for me, it, and, and as much as the financial end of it, which that's definitely a, a big consideration, big part of it. Um, the level of distraction is greater at the office. And I mean, I, I've worked harder, uh, in the last eight to nine months, then, and I'm, I'm a pretty much a grinder. Anyhow, I work, I work all the time. You know, my biggest problem is, is trying to set boundaries for myself in terms of my, my you know, working all the time. Yeah. Um, 
but um, I've had to be more conscious of that working from home. Like I, I'll turn it off, you know, and I'll, I'll put a do not disturb on my phone for, for a certain period of time. And, you know, um, so um, it's, it's, it's a, just, but I get more done. I get, I feel more, um, I feel more confident not working so constantly yeah. because I can really schedule my day and do some deep work in the morning for three hours or so in a row. And, and really I've disciplined myself for the most part. I check email only two to three times a day. I've kind of got a system worked out for that. Those yeah. are things that I never did when I was in an office. Yeah. Um, and now I've got all that. I feel like I've got a really a good handle on that. And I get more, I get more done when I need to do a lot of stuff. And yeah. I get more quality work done when I need the focus and I need the ability to focus. Plus, it, it and enabled me to, we, I, we live in a neighborhood that is connected to a series of trails and a park and all this stuff's really nice. Yeah. And, and I've instituted like, you know, these walk and talk periods where I'll go out and I'll just, I'll make all my phone calls while I'm walking yeah. and just make phone calls. And before you know it, I've done four or five miles. It's hour and a half, two hours have gone by and I've talked to everybody I need to talk to. And when I come home, I'm not on the phone constantly. And so it's, um, I, I, it's, you know, you, it, it is what you make of it. And I, and yeah. I feel like I've, I feel pretty good about where it's at right now. That's pretty good. I mean, the regiment there is really smart and even think of the, time it takes to get into work um that drive and the drive 100%. drive back that's a big amount mm -hmm. of wasted time and then you're you know it comes to noon you probably go out for an hour lunch somewhere or i mean the mm -hmm. time wasted um where you could do something like you said go out for a walk and do your talks and doing something healthy how many times mm -hmm. do you do something healthy while at the office right it's, yeah I, I you yeah you know it, that's that's been it's so true what you just said. I, um, and you know, you can be more efficient with your meetings. You can say, okay, I got 30 minutes uh, to do this call or zoom or whatever it might be, or an hour or whatever, you know, you, you know, you can, you can kind of, you can control your life more. At least I feel like I can. And I, I really make, it takes effort for me to do that because man, before you know it, every, you know, and you, I'm sure have the same thing. Every time you're talking to somebody, they're like, Oh, well, let's, we need to talk about this. Could we talk, uh, you know, next Thursday at 10? Oh yeah. Let me look. I'm clear. And before you know it, you look and you're like, when am I going to actually get any work done? I've got nothing but meetings line, you know, calls and all this stuff lined up. And so I, I've also got to where I actually will, I put it in my calendar. I just block the time out and I don't schedule over. And that way I can get, I can execute on the things that we're talking about. You know, yeah. it's um, finding time to do good work is, is, is key to, to really making making the pandemic for for all intents and purposes work for you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've got a lot of stuff set up for the, the future just because we were forced to look at things a different way uh, on so many levels. And um, I try to take a positive outlook, even though, you know, it's hard. Days are hard, you know? Yeah. It's funny. I find, and maybe you can find this too, is is that I can have a, a pile, I always have a pile of energy and, and, and I'll probably have much of the same work ethic as you do. But with during this COVID era, there are certain times where you just shut down. Mm -hmm. um, and I've never had that before where it just sort of like, okay, I, I need to walk away from this. Or, mm -hmm. you know, you watch the news for a little bit too long and it's just like, <laughs> okay, I'm done for the night now. You know, it's just sort of like, it's, it's hard to, you get really motivated and then all of a sudden you hit a wall sometimes where you feel yeah. this frustration where you don't, really know how to get through the wall because we haven't been here before. Right. 
It's so true. I, man, I, you know, in terms of news and just digesting so, so what's on all your, the feeds and all that, uh, man, I hit my limit about July and uh, or August and I'm, I, I can't watch. I took, a, I, you know, I just, uh, now I, I'm very selective about what I'm looking at, you know, yeah. that's not, you know, either for my, to, to educate me further or to enjoy in, in, in terms of being intentional about it. Um, so it's, but it's hard to control those things, you know? And, uh, and so I can't tell you how many phone calls and stuff I'm on and people start talking about stuff or they'll call me up and say, did you see that email? And I'm like, no, I hadn't had, I hadn't looked at it yet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cause a lot of people, they treat email like it's a conversation. And I, yeah. and I'm like, I'm like, well, yeah, I don't, when I don't walk out to the mailbox every five minutes, wait, looking for a next letter, or wait on the mailman to come by, you know, I, it's email, you know, so I try to yeah. take a, take a point of view of that. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, you get to where you get, you need to walk away. You need to break sometimes, you know, it's just a, the years of playing music. I've got a little tinnitus too. And, and, and when I get stressed, it gets louder inside my head. Yeah. And so I have to, I have to, you know, mitigate that a bit. Uh, that the thing that I that I, and I think I almost feel silly saying this because I felt like it was a silly thing for the longest period of time, but I I got turned around on it. Is meditation, like really learning to do proper meditation. It, and I uh, actually uh, Lindsay L, who's a Canadian artist, turned me on to Headspace a couple of years ago. She yeah. got me a, a one year subscription as a Christmas present. Man, I I did. I was pretty religious for the year, and I and and then I paid for my own x second year this past year and we'll pay for another it's it's for me having being able to just get in you know just stop everything and try to learn how to turn that off even if it's every morning for 10 to 20 to 30 minutes or if it's i find 15 minutes during the day if i get stressed out or something i just say i need to chill out and i you know either go for a walk or work out or whatever but i can do that and i wouldn't really do that if i were in an office if i was working where other people would be like, what the hell are you doing, man? You know, yeah. <laughs> you're sitting there with your eyes shut for 30 minutes. What's going on? And I'm focusing on my breathing. You know, it's like it wouldn't fly in a lot of circumstances. So um, um, it's good to be here where I can kind of find a private space and just t- take a minute and then get back at it, you know, and I'm, I have a much more clear, more clear head. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> I actually think it's possible we might've met uh, if you were with Lindsay um, did you come to Lindsay? It was the Ontario Country Music Awards, just on the outskirts. Oh of yeah, Toronto. yeah, the CCMAs. Yeah, yeah, about CCMAs. Uh, not the CCMA. That's the Canadian one. There was the Ontario one. Um, oh no, I did not come to the Ontario one. Okay, I I think uh, she had Calgary. She's part of the Calgary Awards, but that was that's Alberta. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't. I don't think I came to those. It's funny. <laughs> I was. I came back. I was backstage. And I had, I've never met Lindsay, but I've followed her on on Instagram and stuff, and she's got mm-hmm. that stuff down to a T. Oh, yeah, she's great. Yeah. So, you know, it's the same type of thing. You feel like you kind of know that person because you've seen a bunch of their personal stuff on Instagram. And and I just yeah. came around to the, the green room, and she was like, bam, I just ran into her. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and it, it's the first time in my life that I I – I didn't know what to say. It was just like, oh, there's, I've never been kind of shocked by anybody, but I just didn't expect to see her. And, <laughs> and I, well, can't, hey, I hey. can't remember what I said, but I remember walking away uh, going like, I can't believe 
I, I just said that. <laughs> you know, when those moments where well, you just get I, something stupid and I'm thinking, Oh, trust me. Yeah. Oh gosh. I, I, I have that all the time. Like, you know, she's, <laughs> she's fantastic, you know, and, and what you see is what you get. I mean, she is, yeah. um, uh, I think, you know, I, I love that. Uh, uh, I don't know where I heard it. It might've been my Angelou that said it. People may not remember what you say, but they'll remember how you make them feel. Yeah. And she epitomizes that. Uh, I think she's, you know, just a great person. You see, yeah. I, I, I think she's great. Yeah. She works hard. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, just constantly at it, but let's, let's go back and, uh, we'll talk about what's going on now a bit, uh, later on, but, sure. um, let's talk about how you got started and you got started as a, a player really in the industry first before you mm -hmm. got into anything that you're doing now. Um, yeah. So what did you play? Uh, I'm a guitar player. Guitar player. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I made my living for 15 years professionally as a guitar player. And, uh, and I added tour management to that along the way, uh, just cause you make extra money. And I, I enjoyed, you know, putting things together yeah. and plans together. And, and, um, so, you know, I kind of did that combination of things, uh, playing guitar, but also being a tour manager, also maybe putting together, being a band leader, pulling bands together for certain things, production, uh, you know, you know, just making sure artist rehearsals were going well. I, I actually did, you know, after my touring career, right at the end of it, the way I got into uh, the business side of, of uh, music was um, I was playing guitar and um, being the accompanist, but also helping manage production and, and putting bands together for new acts on labels. But I was being hired by the labels to do that, not right. the artist. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, but I, you know, I, I got, I graduated with a degree in classical music, oh, wow. um, studied, yeah, studied classical guitar. Um, after, after college, I moved, I was born and raised in Virginia after, yeah. after college I moved out to Los Angeles, California. And I lived out there about five years, five, six years. Um, and, um, just, you know, uh, worked out, I went to Musicians Institute, um, did a year there, then I ended up working at that place for a while. And then I worked for Mike Post, who does music oh, yeah. for film and TV. He did yep. LA Law, Brockford Files back in the day. You oh, know, yeah. he's, he's, he's the, the guy, guy that wrote the theme to Law and Order, you know, that chunk chunk, you know, yeah. all that. Yeah, he's a um, big deal. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was, in, and I ended up, I was like the low man on the totem pole at his uh, music editing company. And, but my theory was the way Mike worked, he had, he wrote, he would write the theme to a TV show. And then he had a stable of composers that would write the, the music. You oh, know, yeah. They would do variations on themes and then write the incidental music. And then they would do the recording of it. And they kind of did everything. Yeah. And, um, and that was kind of the way into that, that business. I wanted, I thought I wanted to write for film and TV. I thought that's kind of where my, I was going with that. Yeah. Um, but I was playing around live in LA, like coffee houses. And I had a band out there and I was just, you know, doing that all at the same time. And, I became friends with uh, Herb Peterson from the Desert Rose Band. Oh yeah, uh, and his wife Libby worked at uh, Interlock Music Edit, was where, which was one of the places that was Mike Mike owned that I worked at. Yeah, and and I actually I remember one year I couldn't come back to West Virginia for Christmas, and you know I was just 23, 24 years old, and they had me over for Christmas, and man, it was like for Christmas their guest other than me was Lee Sklar, the bass player with oh, the beard wow. yeah, that yeah, played oh, yeah. in Phil Collins's band, you yeah. know, that guy. Oh yeah. I, and I, I got to drink scotch and smoke cigars with Herb Peterson and Lee Sklar. And it was one of the greatest Christmases ever, man. It was amazing. Just hearing the stories that they would tell. Lee's and got like, fantastic you know, stories. 
Oh, he's incredible, yeah. man. He's incredible. And, um, and then like another time like that, uh, uh, it was like a Saturday. I'm, I live by myself and I'm just kind of in this ratty apartment by myself and, uh, in Hollywood. And I got a call from her and he said, Hey, uh, my new band, I'm going to bring to just a garage practice at my house. If you want to come over and just hang out and, um, uh, and listen, I'm like, yeah, I'd love that. And, um, so I went over and it was her, uh, Chris Hillman, uh, Bill Bryson, uh, I want to say Wyatt Rice, it was what became the Laurel Canyon Ramblers. Oh yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. But they were not, they were just jamming in, in, in Herb's garage yeah. and they had a microphone hanging from the ceiling and they were standing around old style bluegrass, just singing into this one mic. And he had an old couch on the corner of his garage. And I sat up there drink a 12 pack of beer and watched them and listen. And I could not have been happier than to <laughs> sit there all afternoon and just listen to those guys play. That's so good, man. Just God, it's so good. And oh, yeah. um, so anyway, Herb, when I, decided to move to Nashville. He gave me a, he wrote me like a letter of recommendation and gave me like a list of contacts. Um, uh, people from different management companies, uh, uh, Jim Ed Norman from yeah. was at the time the head of Warner brothers. Um, and, um, and a few different people. And I met, I went and met with a couple of folks. Um, but really just kind of talked to them. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I, I really didn't. I, I, I came, I came to Nashville because my father had gotten ill and I wanted to be closer to my mother and father. And so I could go back and forth up to West Virginia easily. And, um, and, and, and then just play, just play music. So yeah. I ended up working at this place called Soundcheck, which was like, you know, in LA it's three is the sister to Soundcheck. Soundcheck was owned by this guy named Bob Thompson. And it was one of the silent partners was Glenn Fry of the Eagles. And yeah. so, um, there was a lot of really well-known people coming through that place. And I was working there. Um, and then, so after about a year there, I got, I got the job uh, as a stage manager with Tanya Tucker and uh, I was stage manager for about six months. And then the, they fired the entire band except right. for one guy. And the one guy they kept was the space player um, and Keith Horn and Keith um uh, knew that I played, I was playing downtown and just jamming with folks and we'd all played music. And he asked me if I wanted to play acoustic guitar in a band. And I'm like, hell yeah, I want to play because Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I got hired on like that into the band. Yeah. And then that one, you know, and there was always turnover a lot because, you know, her and her father were notori notorious for keeping one or two people and firing everybody else every winter after touring was over. And then they try to hire everybody back in February, March. Yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> I just have, I happen to be one of the people they would keep. And, uh, and that turned into, you know, becoming a band leader, then becoming band leader, tour manager. And then I went from working with her. I worked with Leroy Parnell, oh, yeah. which was, you know, Leroy was uh, incredible. He still is an incredible guitar player. And more than that, a musicologist when it comes to understanding Western swing and Texas blues and really a connoisseur of great blues music. And we used to set up late hours of the night on the bus and he'd show me how to play Bob Wills tunes and stuff like that. You know, nice. it was freaking great, man. Yeah. And, uh, and then, um, and worked with Shelly Wright, who was, uh, artist at the time, had a couple of number ones then. Yeah. Um, and then I was just working with all kinds of different people. Uh, you know, just a few pickup gigs here or there. Uh, I'd go out on the road for a weekend with one artist and then I'd go out with another one the next weekend. Just depends on where the work was, you know, very yeah. mercenary, uh, at that point in my life. And then I got the gig doing, uh, doing these radio tours, uh, with, um, uh, with, with new artists. And I got hired by Arista records, Arista Nashville yeah. to do this. The first one I did, actually it was RCA. I got hired by RCA first. And we, and I did a radio tour with a girl named Coley McCabe. 
Then that, and I went right out of that one into another one, Aristurators. Then I did one for Atlantic. And then, and it was like, that became like a little cottage business for me. It was like, and I, and it was great because you traveled on a bus during the day. Yeah. All I took was my acoustic guitar. We'd go into a station in the morning and play and visit. And then we'd get back on the bus, drive to a town, do a munchtime thing, drive to a town. We'd play at the station, do a really fancy dinner that they always invited me to at night and then go to bed. So you had like regular hours. It wasn't like you weren't sleeping on the bus overnight. Yeah. So, man, it was a cush gig. And I was doing that. And then uh, the opportunity, I got to know, I think I, over the two years or so that I did that, I, I had done 350 some odd radio station visits. And wow. so it got to be where when I would go into the radio stations, uh, the program directors would already know me oh, from yeah. when I'd been there before, you know? And yeah. so the promotion guys, radio promotion guys took note of that. And, um, and I got offered the opportunity to come and, and uh, um, do an interview at Warner brothers, Nashville. Yeah. And I thought, uh, you know, I'm like, you know, why not? You know, I, I, I was getting to where I didn't want to be on the road and be that guy who used to be playing in the band all the time, but now he was driving the bus and selling the t-shirts yeah, yeah. and had like a long old pony, <laughs> you know, on ponytails, all gray and shit. And yeah, yeah. talking about, yeah, I remember when I was out with so-and-so, you know, I don't want to be that guy. You know, I wanted to move on. I had done everything I wanted to do. I've been on Letterman, Leno, I've been around the world. I, you know, I had done it. It had not happened the way that I thought it would or that I wanted it to. Yeah which was, I thought it was going to be with my own band, you know, but yeah, yeah. the way it happened, then when I sat back and looked at it, I'm like, yeah, I kind of did all the stuff that when I was on that dirt road, drinking beer with my buddies and listening to the rock station and we'd talk about what we wanted to do. If you look at it a different way, I actually accomplished those things. Yeah. And so at that point, it's kind of made peace with myself. And okay, I said, all right, I'm done with that part of my life. I can, I can figure out something else. And it all coincided that I got the chance to go interview. So at that point, and you know how this is with musicians. I mean, I didn't. I was 36, 37 years. That's 37 years old at the time, and I didn't have a resume. I'd never yeah. had one. <laughs> no. I'd never. I'd, I mean, man, I've never done a job interview. You know what I mean? It's like I'd always been just know people or get asked or something like that. And uh, so, they, I got asked, "You would you like to interview with Warner Brothers?" And I was like, "Yeah, that'd be great." And when is it? Well, tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. And I'm like, "Oh shit! I don't. I don't know how to do a resume." What? <laughs> And so I thought, okay, I, if I do a resume, it's just going to be the same thing anybody else does. And I'll just use like a, a Microsoft template and try to write it myself. And instead I just did a top 10 list of reasons they should hire me like a David Letterman top 10 kind of thing, yeah. you know, and I just counted down and there were things like, you know, I can find a uh, liquor in a dry County in Virginia at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I, I can do, you know, all of those things, you know, it was all, all, all like things that were true and that yeah. had happened to me, but they were just these crazy things. just more like to make them laugh, but also there's truth in all of it, you know? Yeah. And, um, and that I think got their attention and they asked me back to a, a second interview and then a third interview and then they wanted me to come back and talk to the guy who was running the label in Nashville at the time was Jim Ed Norman, who knew her Peterson. And I still had the letter from her and all of that. Oh, wow. And I took it with me. And uh, I think that's what got me to gig. Yeah. You know, because he was like, holy shit, <laughs> you know, he made yeah. the connection. And so, uh, so then, you know, they put me in a room in like a closet with a telephone and gave me a list of radio stations and told me to start calling them. Then I tried to get these songs added to them. And I, 
I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. It, it, if I'm talking too much, just tell me to stop. But no. <laughs> I know I'm kind of rambling. <laughs> but um, but uh, um, I didn't know what I was doing. But yeah. I was watching. Um, I was, there was a there was a TV show on HBO at the time called K Street. Mm-hmm. It was produced by George Clooney, and it was about. Um, political consultants in Washington. And, and it was done like a, like a documentary, although the, 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 uh, the politicians that they were working with were fictional yeah. uh, or fictitious. And, uh, but everything they were doing was what they would do to win a, 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 a presidential race or a, a congressional race or whatever it was, or lobby for a bill or whatever it was. And I watched like the first episode and I'm like, man, that's just like radio promotion. <laughs> it's the same thing. And it's like the candidate is the artist or the bill is the artist. And you have to talk people into putting your artist song on re- on radio, you know? And yeah. so um, I just, I, I watched that TV show with the notepad and I took notes on everything that they did. And I applied those exact tactics to, um, to doing radio promotion. And the first song I worked was, um, song called wild west show by big and rich and um, that was their first single and the first ad date that we had i had closed 75 percent of my region which nobody did that i didn't know i didn't know if it was good or not yeah but they the guys the the national director promotion and the vp um uh, and and the gm of the label were flipping out that i come in there and smoked it you know and yeah. And it was all because I was like, oh, well, I could do this and this and this. But I did get my hand slapped because I was giving away the farm to get that done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> they didn't tell me not to do that. They just said, we need you to get the ads. And I got the ads, man. You know, so yeah. but I spent about that first six months there just working a lot with John and Kenny, uh, John Rich and Kenny often from uh, Big and Rich. Rich. And yeah. we became friends. We're still friends. And yeah. it was like this weird first experience for, for all of us, you know, that that year. And. Spent a year there. Then I got hired away from there to uh, work at Arista in uh, Arista Records when it was under the RCA label group. And then that became part of, um, uh, they merged with BMG and it was Sony being, or they merged with Sony. Sony bought out RCA. Then Sony merged with BMG. Uh, And then then BMG called it a day and it became Sony Music Nashville. And I was there through, until it became Sony Music Nashville. And I spent two years as a, um, well, I spent a year as the Midwest uh, manager of promotion. Then I was made the national director of promotion for Arista Records. My first gig on that was working, uh, we signed Carrie Underwood and was getting Carrie's, Carrie's stuff out the door. Yeah, uh, That was great. That was a great experience. Was on the, you know, the jet to go sign Carrie and then start her, her thing. So it was part of all those conversations. That was exciting. Yeah. And then, um, and then after a couple of years of that, after two years as a national director of promotion, they made me the vice president of BNA Records, which is now Columbia Records, Nashville. Okay. Uh, same label, but they they brought back the old name, you know. And um, and so that was a, a heck of an experience working with, with Joe Galani and and Butch Wan, Skip oh, yeah. Bishop, and all those guys there. All my bosses there. And then at you know late 2011, I. Um, just decided, well, I've kind of done what I wanted to do here. What's next, you know? And yeah. I didn't really know that I was going to get into management per se. I just, um, 
Um, I just knew that I didn't want to be there anymore. Uh, and so I told him, I said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's time for me to go. I need to change. I need to change my life. I need to do something different. Yeah. And I love all, I love all you guys, but you know, I'm not going to go somewhere else and I'm not going to go to another record label. Yeah. I'm not going to go compete. Um, uh, but I'm not going to do this and, um, I don't know what I'm going to do. So it was a really amicable, uh, parting of the ways. I actually, they asked me to stay on through the end of the year to help with any transition. And I did, and that was great. You know, it was fun. And then when I left there, I kind of fell into management by accident um, and had my own company for about six months. And then I got a call to come meet with Corn Capshaw and they asked me to come on board at Red Light. I could bring the, the guy I was working with with me and, but they wanted me to work on the Tim McGraw management team. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then I've been at Red Light since then. It's uh, eight years now, I guess. Wow. So yeah. it, it's pretty interesting because if, if you go back, there's probably about, if you want to consider them all jobs, there's probably about 10, 15, 20 different jobs along the way. Oh, um, man, yeah. I, yeah. I, was at a, I was at a show eight or nine years ago, 10 years ago. I was at a it was Carrie Underwood show, and, I, I, and I, during the day, I would just do my work. But I like to I like to be at the venue. I always and I always because I came up through like the crew with the crew guys. Yeah. I was like a crew guy that got a chance to be a, a player, and then I became a player. But I was still kind of a crew guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, uh, and so I always those are the guys that I just feel the most comfortable. With. I feel more comfortable with the crew, the road crew, yeah. than I do with other musicians. Other musicians get on my nerves like nobody's business. I they just you know I, they. I have no patience for laziness and there's so much laziness in it, you know? And so a lot of times I would, um, um, I hang out more with the crew, you know, uh, as, you know, when I was a Tanya man, at one point me and the steel player and, uh, 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 our production manager, we, we had a bus driver, uh, Tanya owned her own buses and we had a band bus that was a retrofitted 1971 Eagle, yeah. uh, which, and this was in you know 1996. So this is that's an old that's ass old bus, bus, you yeah. know. And yeah, so and we were scared to death with these bus drivers they were hiring that we were going to just end up in a ditch some night, you know. And so we just went to we went to uh, the business manager and said, "Look, you pay the three of us what you would pay a driver. So you're yeah. the outlay of cash is not it's not going to be any different. We'll, the three of us will split the driving shifts into thirds and we'll split the money into thirds. And we ended up driving. So I was, I would drive the bus part of the time. So I, it, but anyway, I, I was sitting in the back of the arena. It was in Lansing, Michigan. And I was looking, I was watching them set up everything. And I thought to myself, I, I literally figured out that I had done every single job there was except for rigging lights. I've never rigged lights, Yeah. but I've done every, every other job I had done. And it, so, yeah, a lot of jobs along the way. Let me skip back a second. The steel player that mm -hmm. uh, okay, was, wasn't Mike Holder, was it? It was Mike Holder. <laughs> oh, no way. <laughs> 100%. Mike Holder. Mike's, a, re was, Mike's yeah. a really good friend of mine. I love that man. He oh, so do a I. fine man. Yeah, so Mike Holder and Matt. Uh, uh, Matt. Uh, oh, my God. I can't believe I'm drawing a blank. Matt is, yeah, he produces Lee Bryce's records now. Um I'll think of it in a minute. Yeah. But uh, the three of us were the ones that drove bus. But that's when Mike got into driving buses. Yeah. Because of us doing that. Yeah. Well, Mike Mike was kind of like my number one steel guitar player here in my studio for he's uh, great. quite a while. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. And he had, he, he's a real perfectionist. 
Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and he, I remember when he made the move to to Nashville, and we were chatting about a lot. And he's yeah, going to do it. And and uh, and then you know, someone moves away, you touch every once in a while. Then next thing I knew, he's I'm driving bus part time. And then oh, that's awesome. And uh, yeah. yeah, so uh, yeah, super awesome guy. I was going to ask you earlier yeah. when you One mentioned. He, I'm sorry. He's one of the very, he's one of the neatest, most well put together people I, I've ever seen. Yeah. Like no matter what he's wearing, he looks very, it fits him perfectly. And he's like the James Bond of, of the country music business or something. I don't know. He just, he's a guy who could be out in the ocean, walk out and he would be in a dry tuxedo. That, uh, <laughs> yeah. He just got, he just sent me an email like maybe three weeks ago. He, he was playing steel on a, a friend's project. He wanted me to listen to see what the steel sounded like. And, and, uh, uh, so he was happy. He was kind of, he says, I'm getting back into playing again. So <laughs> that's good. That's good. Oh yeah. Mike's a good dude, man. Yeah, definitely. So going back on a couple other things too. Mm-hmm. So when you're a promotion guy selling a record, um, mm-hmm. a single, what do you think made you good at that? What was the, what's the trick in, in that? What, what's, what makes it make, makes you good at that job? Uh, you know, I think there's, there's, um, you have to have anybody that's good at it has to have like a natural, a natural kind of affinity for talking to people, just talking, yeah. you know, and just and enjoying conversation with other people. That's like one, number one thing. The, um, the thing, but for me, the thing that, that the way that I made that work for me internally was I would always find something about the record that I was working that I, that I loved. It might be just, it might be only the drum track or I might just some records. It was like, okay, I love the snare sound. Everything else is shit, but I love the snare sound or, you know, something that I would always find something about it that I could talk about and be honest and passionate about. Yeah. And I would in, in, in my conversations, I, I could always be truthful in how I felt about something or why I should why I needed to get it done or why somebody was good for the radio station to do it. Um, always the, the key for me was finding the thing uh, about how you approach that, that is true. Uh, and that way it, it keeps you from getting into trouble. It keeps you from, it, it allows you to keep your integrity and feel good about yourself after it's over with, because yeah. there are a lot of opportunities that that doesn't go that way. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was about finding what's the true thing about this that I can talk passionately about. Um, and trust me, there were some challenges. <laughs> you know, I remember this, yeah. that kid rock song about his kid happy meal or whatever. It was just, it was terrible. It was just terrible. Yeah. And, um, I found, I, you know, I think it, it might've been the drum track or something in there that I liked. And, you know, I mean, you just really got to find the thing that you like about it so yeah. that you can speak passionately and honestly about it. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, what about moving into management? Um, mm-hmm. actually, no, I was, I was going to ask you something else before we get into that. As far as radio promotion, uh, mm-hmm. nowadays compared to even 10, 15 years ago, um, with streaming and all those things that are happening now, um, I know you're not in that game, but you would know about it. What do you feel someone promoting a single now what would the differences be? Um, obviously, you probably don't well, have as many people to talk to. Um, as well, no, I, it's, yes no. no. I, it, it's um, 
still very much uh, look anybody that tells you they're not paying attention to radio and streaming and all that stuff is they're lying to you and and, and any artist that says it isn't important is it they're lying as well um you so I, I mean yeah i'm very aware of radio promotion and how it's done hell i mean i've got i can get on and look at bds and media base and i still i will do my math and do my numbers to find out how long it's going to take a song to move six spaces or when do we think we're going to get a number one or when do we think it's going to be top 10? I still can do all, I keep those skills sharpened. Yeah. Um, and I still call radio uh, guys that I know. I've, there's still probably, you know, 60, 75 guys that I will call semi-regularly every three months or so to stay in touch, mostly around shows. If I got a show going into their town, I'll call them and just say, Hey, and invite yeah. them out. And some, most of the times it's a different conversation because I, I you know, I can just be friendly and I'm not trying to do yeah. anything other than bring value to their station. Hey, I'm going to give you some more tickets. I want to make sure your people are taken care of. And, and so it's important to keep those relationships strong in terms of the streaming world. I think that I said it a long time ago that each label should have a promotion team that works streaming and they should work all aspects of it. Yeah. Now I know that people have tried to do that. And the, 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 uh, the, um, the, the streaming companies, they push back on that. Like they don't want you to have these personal relations. They want you to talk to a person who's their music person or who's the country person or the whatever. Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, I just try to find every way in the world to get around that. And just, if you have relationship with somebody, have a relationship with somebody and I, you know, it, it helps. It does help. It helps to get you in the door. Yeah. The thing about streaming is there's the data is there. So after a while you can't, the data, it's either working or it's not, Yeah, you know, and now but the thing you have to do is make sure that a song is given every opportunity to work. So if it's given every opportunity to work and the numbers aren't coming back, then you need to move on because that's not going to work, you know? And whereas if it weren't, you weren't in the streaming world, if it was more radio, you can, you could talk people into staying on something longer. Yeah. Um, the, the human factor played a much bigger piece of that. Now it just, and in terms of radio pushing back on trying to get songs at it, it gives them more places to point to, to hide from, to be able to say no. Um, you know, no comes very easy to a program director. God love them. Yeah. I love them. They're good people, but man, they love to say the word no. <laughs> and they'll say it in the nicest way. A lot of times they give you the Nashville no, where they just never return a phone call or anything until it's over with. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, um, that that data can be used as a, um, a, a not it can be used as a knife to cut the cut you loose. You know, it's you got to be careful what you point to, and it's much harder to have. You can't. It's much harder to have a real hit these days that isn't a real hit. Yeah, it's very hard to very hard to prop them up when they're not really happening. Yeah, makes sense. So management. Um, did you find that much of a transition, or is it just felt like a steady progression forward for you obviously um a lot of that is relationships talking um mm -hmm. all those things that you you've learned over the years it just kind of rolls itself right into into management um uh, yeah, i'm sure it, it had its you know challenges and different things to figure out but what did you find the biggest change when you moved into management um anytime uh, I, like when I was a national director, when I was a, when I was a, uh, a regional promotion manager um, at Arisa and I'd look at the national, I go, I could do that job. I don't know why they're not doing it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you get the, get the job and you sit in the seat. 
and you're like, holy crap, this is way harder than I thought it was going to be, you know, and yeah. you, before you, you know, but you assimilate. And then when I went from being a national to being the vice president, I had, I thought I knew what it was going to be, but I had no idea. I couldn't have been prepared for it because there's things that you do when you're at that level of an executive that you just don't tell anybody below. You just, you're not sharing that information Yeah. and you have to manage up as well as down. You know, there's so many pieces of that puzzle that are, um, that you can't be prepared for. You just have to kind of get thrown in and then you, you learn it, you know, you sink or swim. Um, Joe Galani told me one time it takes, uh, it takes about two years on average for somebody like one, one year of learning your job, learning how to do what you're doing, what you've been asked to do. And then another year of actually doing it to gain the experience in order to make really solid decisions and, and, and move forward. And then after two years on average, people are ready for a promotion or to move on or something else to happen. If they're that type of a person, you don't want to get stagnant. You don't want to get stuck. Oh, I've been doing this for 30 years of radio promotion and I've just worked in this one thing. And, yeah. You know, it's like that in any business though, really. It, and I just, you know, always, it was weird. It, the, the record label stuff really worked well for me um, in terms of my career. It just fit what I was naturally, uh, I had an affinity for that. I, I, I feel like I did, I did well. I felt, I felt very confident about doing it because it just seemed really simple to me, you know? And yeah. so, um, but man, the learning curve at each stage of growth was huge. And then I remember getting, and I've actually apologized. You know who Larry Fitzgerald is? He's a manager at Fitzgerald Harlem. Mm-hmm. I used to get in the biggest arguments with Larry because he just say, I, I would just could count on it. I could go to him three different times and he would absolutely tell me no. And if I had a good argument the fourth time, I could get a yes. But it was, he was just such a bear to deal with. And I used to get so pissed off because he was like, he would, he was, he was frustrating because he was just keeping me from doing my job. And I didn't understand why, you know, why he would say no to things and why he would do what he did. And, uh, you know, he was a manager for, for at the time, Kelly Pickler, who was on my roster at DNA. And, and, and after I left the label, I'd been in management one year. I I saw Larry out somewhere and I came up and I just straight up apologized. (laughs) <laughs> I, said, I said, man, I am sorry. I, uh, I had no idea. I had no idea how hard uh, being a manager of an active and engaged and forward moving artist would be. I had no idea all of the balls that will come at you, all the ways you're pulled in so many different directions. It, it's a challenge. Um, it's, it's just, it, it, you know, let me say it this way. There are managers who have incredible artists that write hit songs and boom, they're out the door. And a lot of times those managers are good because their artist is doing really well and has hits and is making a lot of money touring. And it looks like the manager's a genius, but all they're doing is hanging on for dear life and praying to God they don't fuck something up. Yeah. You know, I hope to God I don't say yes to the wrong thing and no to the wrong thing. And it's just they just got to, you know, now there are people who rise to the occasion and they can make decisive decisions, good decisions, and they move and they learn and they grow and they get better. There are others who are just hanging on mm-hmm. and, and people think they're great and I'm not seeing nothing out of them. Okay. And then there's other people who who are good managers because they've had to grind it out with artists and they are they made the artists what they are. Yeah. And, and that I, I've always would rather be that kind of, per, don't get me wrong. I want the success. Yeah. I want those big act, but it's so much more satisfying when you help somebody go from nothing to seeing their first number one or, 
or you know, getting them on their first big tour and then seeing the record sales and seeing the offers go from $5,000 a night to $25 or $30,000 a night to 40. I mean, those are huge. And or getting, you know, like I also work with Craig Morgan. I have a co-manager on Craig's name's Gaines Sturdivant. And Gaines and I, you know, Craig's career, you know, for all intents and purposes was really stagnant. And in the last five, six years, you know, we've really done a lot with him and, and it's very proud to be able to do that. And you have numbers to measure that growth. Yeah. So, but the challenge is it's just, you can't, you can't be prepared for it. I mean, you're, you're talking to Penn's oil about a $4 million deal on some kind of car oil, you know, promotion, or you're talking to we're you know, with Craig, we're helping him with outdoor TV show and, and I went bear hunting with him for God's sakes, you know, and you're helping with that production. You're helping yeah. uh, negotiate with, um, with the uh, network, network, network TV people. Um, it's just, it's all over the place. We did just did a, a, a major book deal for him, you know, so that's, you know, book publishing is, is different animal. Yeah. So you're learning that, um, you know, with uh, technology that grows and, and is, is just ever changing, you know, every six months, there's something else you've got to be doing. Uh, you, you know, artist needs to be present, got to be present to win, right? Like the old yeah. raffle ticket says. And so um, understanding these new technologies is a constant. You constantly have to be educating yourself if you want to stay on the edge of things. Um, it, you know, having the right relationships and cultivating those, are that's a whole other part of it. Um, trying to win awards is a whole other thing, you know, and it's yeah. just... And not only that, but being international, you know, um, growing a band, not only domestically, but growing them internationally and worldwide and, you know, trying to build it a territory at a time. Man, it's not easy, you know. Um, and then you hit that learning curve again this year with COVID. You know, we um, we started a, a live stream promotion company for all intents, for lack of a better way to put it. It's you know, with the Cadillac three, we started country fuzz presents and we did that with a, a new kind of a startup uh, live stream platform called moment house. And um, we did produced 41 live streams between August 1st and uh, November 15th. And it, and that, I mean, hell, I didn't know what I, did. I thought we, I thought we had every, everything taken care of until the morning we were making the announcement. And then the guy who's was going to provide all the cameras and gears and produce it said he couldn't do it. He got an offer for something else and couldn't blame him. He had to take this offer for, it was for Fox or something. He had to go do it. And I'm like, I called uh, Neil, the drummer up in, uh, in Cadillac three. And I said, dude, let's just buy the cameras ourselves. We'll figure it out. It can't be that hard. We'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll hire people to run. And so we turned that into a thing and in like, you know, a week and a half later, we were doing shows and putting them on the internet. And so, I mean, it's just a constant, there's constantly stuff coming at you from all different way, all different places at, at all hours of the day and night. And it's just, it's pretty insane, man. I, I was not prepared for the controlled chaos it is to be a, a manager with active clients. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Cause you really are making decisions that really completely affect another person's life. Everything. Yeah. Everything. And it's mm -hmm. a complete extension of that person. And mm -hmm. having that trust and relationship between the artist and the management is super important because you want, as a, an artist, you want, uh, you know, I've worked with a lot of management on a bunch of different things and even a booking side mm -hmm. of things. And, and, and you, you just know sometimes that, you might present something that maybe it's not quite in in the wheelhouse 
Um, but maybe there's a workaround. And the back of my mind is like, this, this is, is this even getting to the artist? You know what I mean? It's like it kind of comes through this wall and it's, it's sort of like a penetration wall. It's around the artist. And then you always wonder with some manager, managers, it's like, you know, you have to be smart to say yes, no, and you, and you can't let the artist know absolutely everything that's going on. Because, well, no, I, but I think you, 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 you should as much as you can, but I, I've, I've run into lots of times where you just have, you just know that feeling that, yeah, I don't think this got presented to who it should have got presented to and, you know, yeah, getting no, a fair I, shake I know of what things. you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. No, hey, listen, it, it happens to, it happens to other managers because they'll, they'll want to work with another act and they'll go to the act's management and the management gives them that, that you get the same feeling. I, I mean, I've gotten it just in the last six months. It's happened yeah. all the time. And, but I, it's okay. Yeah. Um, my point of view is it, it, you know, your, your job as a manager is to advise and counsel. Yeah. Right. And then represent, uh, the artist needs to hear of every opportunity, some little stuff. I mean, you know, you know what they're going to, if you know them well enough, you know, there's either a reason they don't want to do it or they do want to do it. Yeah. There's a reason that they should not do it or should do it. And those are, those are parameters that would be set ahead of time on with planning. And, you know, you want to work everything, everything, the totality of it all needs to add up to, growth and a certain goal or where, you know, you want to get where you're going. Um, so the little things, I think management can make a decision on that stuff because the parameters should be able to guide you. You shouldn't, there shouldn't be doubt as to what it should be. That said, artists should know what was asked or what was presented. So, you know, even at the very least, if um, they're ever somewhere where the person is to ask about it, they're aware of it. You know, you don't want anybody to be surprised. Yeah. Um, on the big things, those are always a phone call and a, and a discussion uh, without fail. There's no excuse for that. Any major decision that is a binding situation or a commitment of any sort should be a very, um, uh, it should be a detailed discussion with your, with your client, you know, uh, and that goes both ways because artists will get things themselves. And a lot of times I have, I have to remind them, you've got to let us know, because if we're working on an overall plan, some and, and artists are approached by people directly a lot, you know, if they don't direct it back to us, we can't keep the plan together. You can't keep things organized. You can't keep things in order um, because all of a sudden you'll find out something's happening. You had no idea it was going to happen. And it just it may knock down four or five dominoes you've got set up. So um, there's that that transparency and communication has to be ongoing in order for it to 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 really work the way it should. So let's talk a little bit about the transition that you've had to do since we've in this COVID era. And obviously mm -hmm. it's going to be with us for a little while yet. Um, what are the things that you've seen that you've figured that worked uh, and maybe worked at the beginning, doesn't work now? Um, and how do you project into five months, six months, and a year from now when you're not 100% sure? Um, maybe we should you know, talk a little bit about those sure. type of things. I, I think in general, um, number one, uh, don't make any decisions out of fear. We never, I've never done that. Uh, you know, um, so if it is what it is and, and, and we have to, and you try to assume, we assumed that we weren't going to tour the rest of the year. We assumed all of that was going to go away. You could see it just 
going. I'm talking about 2020 now. Yeah. Um, by April, uh, I had a plan for each of uh, each of my acts, depending upon where they, what stage of their career they're in, or what what is right for them. There's no one size fits all, so you have to treat each um, artist situation as its own unique situation and apply that uh, yeah. you're thinking to it and with those parameters. Um, and uh, so with the Cadillac three, I mean, man, we did a lot. <laughs> uh, everything that we put in place though, are things that when touring comes back, there'll be add-ons yeah. to the tour. Uh, like the, the country fuzz presents um, branding a live streaming thing that they curate and host. Well, the first thing we did was we started um, and we did this before the pandemic hit but we had started Country Fuzz Radio and we started doing it on a streaming radio, big machine label group streaming radio uh, uh, platform. Yeah. And uh, Scott Morshida was kind enough to just say, man, absolutely go ahead, get after it, you know? So that's a roughly a one hour radio program every week where the guys curate the music. They talk about why they pick the songs they have. They do it all three of them together. Sometimes they have guests, sometimes they don't, but now we have a year, like there's like 45 weeks of radio shows in there. Yeah. So now that, uh, and my idea with that all along was to create this radio thing, give them enough time to practice so they get good at it. And then take that and I've got plenty of material to put like a, a EPK together with that, an air check, and then maybe try to get it syndicated or brought to Apple or brought to Sirius or whatever, you know, those, those are things you will look to for 2021. Yeah. So 2020s working towards future, same principle with um, the country fuzz presents live streaming brand. So we incorporated that and, and bought the camera gear, bought the streaming gear, uh, did all of that. And we use it as a place for, to help, uh, developing and and acts who have great careers give them a place where we made a partnership first partnership was with the basement in nashville this this second partnership and current partnership is with the exit in in nashville mm -hmm. and we we set up a you know a way where everybody can win when we stream shows from those clubs also helps the clubs helps um the the, the artists um we've done 45 46 of those shows now and um we also have raised uh, $25,000 for, um, um, for um, um, oh gosh, to, to feed families through uh, Nashville. I don't have to think of the organization, but anyway, it, it amounts to 100,000 meals provided for families in middle Tennessee. Wow. So we attach that to it. Mm -hmm. um, and those are all things. Now that it paid for itself, but what happens is we're planning on doing a festival, you know, uh, down the line, and this helps tell the story of why that'll happen. And so these things go out to the atmosphere. And I think that when the band starts touring again, those um, live streams will be streaming our show live in tandem with a live show, live concert. So we'll be able to monetize that. We'll sell tickets to the show in, that we're at and tickets to the one that's going out over the internet, you know? And so we can add a layer of income to the band in 2021. Um, the guys, we put out a second record. We put out uh, the Country Fuzz album in February. We put out the Tabasco and Sweet Tea record uh, October, uh, November. And and now, so we have two albums out in a year. And so, you know, if you can't grow touring, then grow artistically, put another record yeah. out. And, and we got so much press and heat around that record. You know, uh, it was a departure. It was a different thing. It was a uh, Send a signal to the industry. They're still the coolest band in Nashville. You know, there's there's some badasses, man, and and that, that Tabasco Sweet Tea record shows it. And 
they are they're the the coolest band uh, out there now they just rock they rock so hard and they're funky and interesting and in and, and insightful and smart at the same time and um i just really admire them as 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 artists as recording artists so that's you know they're what we started the fan club with them that's paying them that you know you work on the things that you can't work on yeah our e-commerce uh, game got much like 70% better because, you know, okay, let's focus on e-commerce, you know, more than all these are things you should be doing all the time, but with the volume coming in, it's really hard to do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So uh, we were able to level up areas that needed to be leveled up and turned them into income streams that we didn't have before. Yeah. Um, Craig, you know, we did, you know, we did some live streaming stuff with him. He did not want to do a, a paid thing at, at least yet. He, it's just his thing. He's just different, but yeah. we work on a book. We put out, you know, a, 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 another record. We, you know, there's a lot of things with him. Um, my artist, Christian Bush. I mean, man, that guy's, you know, he's working on a second musical. Wow. Uh, we, we've got a musical that we're, we're talking about staging virtually yeah. uh, that he uh, wrote, co-wrote and um, we're talking to him and he, we're recording all that. He's produced, I don't know, five, six records. We released, between he had a huge catalog from being in the band Billy Pilgrim to Sugarland to um, to his solo stuff and a new band he's got out now called Dark Water which is a freaking great band. Um, so there was a lot of catalog product there that hadn't seen the light of day or new versions of it hadn't. So we we kind of made a pact that we're going to try to get all of this out the door during the year because one thing about streaming is if your songs are on a hard drive in your bedroom they're not making you any money. Right. But if you get them out and people can can enjoy them it may trickle a little bit but the totality of a big catalog can can be worth something you know and who knows what might get discovered and get put on a tv show or get, you know whatever so um we we i think uh, singularly there was over 50 songs that we released between may and the end of september wow. but there was three four five record albums um four round four albums uh so and we've got you know more stuff scheduled for 21 so those are the things you do. We, you know, he did some really lucrative streaming things that, that paid him really well. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I felt like everybody was, I was overwhelmed with the things that were coming across about streaming in March, April, and May. It was ridiculous, man. It's like every third email was a new streaming company. And I was it, to the point where I would get mad. I'm like, Jesus Christ, I, I don't need another <laughs> streaming. I got, there's plenty yeah. enough. But what I did was I kind of got them, gathered them all on one thing and I just spent the time and studied, okay, what would work? What's the problem? And I did a couple of things. Uh, one that was not, was with a food blogger. It had nothing to do with music, but the sign-up process didn't work. Uh, I thought it was going to be a good thing. And then when I went back and analyzed, we'd only sold like 15 tickets. And I'm like, that's crazy. And when we went back and analyzed, 477 people had opted out at the point where they had to enter all this information. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, okay, so basically because of the pain in the butt it was to sign up, we lost all of, at least I bet 75% of the sales we would have got, you know, yeah. if we had been easier. And that's when I got turned on to Moment House, which is simple. You put in your first name, last name, your email, and a credit card. They send you an email with a link and you go and watch the show and that's it. And so... And you don't have to become a member. You don't have, you know what I mean? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it, the experience of May, June streaming really educated me on what to look for on in streaming situation that works. But now that I'm educated more on it and I understand it better, hell, I've even edited video. I never thought I'd ever do that. You know, yeah. it's, it's, you just, 
you learn something needed stuff. to get done. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I can learn anything on YouTube for God's sakes. I'll edit this. You guys will have it tomorrow. You know, not hard, but, um, so well, it was a really easy edit. Don't get me wrong. But, <laughs> um, uh, but you know, you have to, you have to find where you can do things and then you have to, you have to do things that hopefully my, my goal, uh, and I told all the guys this, I said, you know, my goal for you is if at the end of this, when we can go back to touring and back out in the, in the world, gets more normal. Your, your career will have leveled up in some way. There will be measurable, a measurable positive difference between where you are now and where you will be then. And it, it won't, it, it, it won't make you, you won't lose any momentum. We'll only gain momentum. And so yeah. that's, that's been the mantra for everyone. Uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. That's a lot of people should hear that. And, uh, I think there's a lot of people just sitting back waiting. Um, can't do that. No, you got to keep moving forward. Um, life will happen to you if you don't happen to it, you got to happen. You got to make things happen. You got to go out and happen to the world, not let the world happen to you. Um, you know, look, you can take a break every now and then you can say, shit, I got to take a nap, go take a nap. That's fine. Take a day off. I gave myself one day to be depressed and upset about all the money I lost because of COVID. I took one day. I was pissed off all day long. My feelings were hurt. (laughs) I'm like, Oh, what could have been? It's going to be one of my best years ever. And I'm, and it just went to shit in no time. And so I, I find I gave myself one day and after a 24 hour period, I just said, you know, I'm like, I looked in the mirror and I said, all right, figure it out. And so I just started figuring things out and that, that, that's how I handled it. So what do you think um, as far as everybody restarting again, as far as getting out there on the road and touring? Like obviously, we don't really foresee for sure when that's going to happen. I think maybe fall everyone's looking forward to, but everyone thought the fall back in March um, yeah. was going to be a thing, you know, kind of don't know. But how do you think it's going to roll out? Obviously, you just can't open the floodgates and everyone just gets to the start lining and hit go. Um, yeah it's going to be a slow ramp up. We've got a lot of people in the, in all the industries, you know, we've got a lot of musicians that sold all their instruments. We've got tech guys who've gone and worked for Amazon and probably won't want to come back because now they have a nice cushy gig with benefits and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you, how do you see it rolling out? I, 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 listen, I I think we need to be, we need to be optimistic. Um, No reason you shouldn't be optimistic. But I, I think the the realistic look is we'll be lucky if we can do some touring in the summer. We'll be lucky if the fall works. Uh, there's so many variables in place. Yeah. Will the vaccines come into play the way they're supposed to? Um, will people, you know, will the humans of the world follow the right protocols and, you know, stay safe? In, and will that give us time to get that uh, the vaccine working for all of us? There's just so many variables with that. Um, saw that article in the New York Times where Dr. Fauci said that uh, he feels that if everything goes well, they should be open. It was an article with uh, theaters in New York. Yeah. And they said, we like you should be able to be back in theaters in the fall. Um, I, I think, but that's if everything goes well. I think that's optimistic point of view. I think the reality of the situation is we're going to have some touring in 21. It's not going to be anywhere near where we want it. I think there will be a lot of people dipping their toe in the water here and there, and there'll be different things and we'll have some tour dates, but if it's a band that does 120 dates in a year, maybe they'll do 30. Yeah. I think that it's, it's going to look like that. Um, 
But 22 is, I think everybody, like the people who, who are deep in that game, they're pointing at 2022 and they're setting up 2022 now. Like, you know, I mean, we're going to start booking 2022 with my bands. You know, we're going to really plan touring um, here before the end of the first quarter. We'll start working. It will probably in the next two, three weeks, we'll start on that. But we have to look ahead. You have to look way ahead. And yeah. so I, I don't feel like we're the business will even come close to a glimpse of, of what it was before this hit until we get into 2022. Yeah. And I even think in the back of my mind, it's going to be even later. I think it's going to take a good three years or so to get back to what we think, what was, uh, but the, the problem is still, I think a lot of people are thinking the same as you 2022 um so you've got you know bands who maybe tour every other year or this um so now everyone's not played for a couple years or a year and a half or whatever end up being um it's like everyone's gonna want to (laughs) go and get going yeah listen that's gonna be a tough thing to manage yeah well that's true i mean the routing and the um you know there's already holds on stuff for two years from now, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I, listen, I don't, I think that the activity level will come back 2022. Yeah. I don't think the money will come back until 2023. Yeah. It's what you do in 2022 will, you know, fund fourth quarter 22 into 2023. Yeah. And and so I think you have to think of it that way. Activity level can come back at the end of Q1 2022, hopefully. Um, but financially, you're not going to see, things coming back like they were until you get to 2023. I, I agree with that. Um, the, uh, it, it, but they're just like, again, there's just so many variables, yeah. you know, and it's, it's, it's hard to say, I, you know, I, but I feel like that is a, a realistic time frame. And if it's, if it's better and it turns out to be better than that, then hallelujah, you know, yeah. um, hopefully it won't be worse, but uh, I, I'm praying that it's, it, it turns out to be quicker than that. But my, my realistic point of view is activity level 22 financial level will will come back 23 and and then we'll be on from there but yeah. a lot of ch- lot can change in a year man i mean a lot of technology a lot of opportunities i think brands are going to start incorporating more music gaming is going to start opening up to artists that are not you know huge um there's going to be there's got to they got to there's got to be things out there that we can we can find uh, areas of um opportunity that we might not have looked at before. Yeah. Uh, we'll wrap up on a couple more questions. And uh, sure. so during this time, uh, during COVID, what's the biggest lesson you've learned? I know it's a tough question. But. Hmm. Um, the biggest, you know, how important uh, hanging with the family has been, you know, um, I, I was surprised. <laughs> Uh, I'll use this to illustrate it. I couldn't believe how much maintenance needed to be done on my house after I'd been here about a month and I was walking around talking to them. I'm like, Oh shit, I got to paint that. And that needs to be fixed. And yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, I, it's just, and you, you, those little teeny moments that are, that happen throughout a day um, that you don't notice those um, being uh, aware of those little moments um, are, are, that's the thing that is, has, just slapped me in the face that I hadn't never crossed my mind really in the last 10 years. You know, it's um, my son, uh, this last fall was his first freshman semester in college. Yeah. And um, 
So that I hated that he didn't get to finish his senior year of school the way he should have. I hated that all of those events were, didn't happen. Yeah. I hate that. But man, we spent two months hanging out at the house and just doing stuff, just me and him and my wife, you know, the three of us together. And we hadn't done that since before he started school when he was a kid, you know, it was very, it was rare, especially as it, when he became a teenager, we didn't, you know, he was always doing something with his friends or whatever. And normally that time, if that were like snow days, he would be over at his buddy's house, whatever, but we were all yeah. locked down, forced to stay at home. And like, we binge watched the walking dead and you know, we played ping pong, like nobody's business. We've been getting crazy with rummy cube games. And I mean, it's in, and he, he's a really great guitar player himself. And, and we'd sit around and play guitar together and, and just stuff that if I were going to the office every day and if life were normal and I was traveling so much, that wouldn't happen. You know, yeah. um, the year prior uh, in 2019, I spent 35 days, went around the world. I was gone for 35 days and went all, you know, circumnavigated the globe. And, and, and I would much rather spend 35 days here at the house with these guys playing ping pong and goofing off, you know? So yeah. um the lesson is just how important that time can be if you have the ability to to make time for that. That was super important. And then just personally, um, just in, in myself, it's like um, just really putting boundaries on my work life. You know, just, I you know, I got to take a little time for my own mental health every now and then. I think that's, I yeah. just never thought about it too much before, but, you know, this has made me think about it. I think that's been big for a lot of people. Uh, I think mm-hmm. in some ways, uh, going through all this has been really good for a lot of people. Um, I'm obviously mm-hmm. really bad for a lot of people as well, but I think there is yeah. always, always, whenever low you have, there's always an opposite reaction, right? There's always yeah. something on the other side that's really good. Yeah. And uh, it's being able to figure that out on the other end. Um, and I think a lot of people have really looked at their time kind of going, geez, yeah, maybe I was on the road too much, or maybe I I didn't spend mm-hmm. enough time with my family or, or all those things. And so those things are, I think are super important. And those are the things to take away uh, yeah. from a time set of looking at all the negative. Let's look at all the positive things that, that turned around during this time. So. Oh, I agree. I, yeah. I mean, you have to be open to it. I mean, the yeah. negative is easy to get to. Yeah. You can go negative and it's really easy. It's a little harder. It takes a little more effort to, to find what is positive about a situation like this and really try to um, open your heart to it and expand your mind with it. And, um, it just takes a little more effort, but one, it's funny. It's like a, it's like a snowball. The more you do it, the more speed it gathers going downhill, it gets bigger and you, it gets easier to do the more you practice it. Yeah. Uh, we'll wrap up in the question I'd like to ask everybody. And since you've, uh, spent a lot of time as a mus- musician on the road and touring all over the place, uh, mm-hmm. I always like to ask, is there anywhere in the world, uh, that you haven't done a show or performed at or been to and want to do a project at that you haven't done before? Is there a venue, a city, country um a place mm. out there that you said yeah i really like to do something here uh, yeah uh i would like uh to take my guitar and do like a little solo acoustic tour of the pubs of the northern part of scotland oh cool now i just i think and i would i would be fine walking between towns i think it would be yeah. just the most fun just to play in these just like it looks like someone's living room yeah, yeah, and everybody's just raising hell and you're just in, you know, and there's like 15, 20 people in there and you're, and, and do that, and, you know, and just go all around Scotland and, and in all the mountains. And I just, I love all the, that, uh, I love that, the, that kind of the, the, the way that 
topography, if you, if you will. I, I love all that. I think that's awesome. I've been to Norway a few times and I love, I've been, I just love it. And it's, yeah. it's beautiful. And, but, um, I haven't been to that part of Scotland. I'd love to go. That's the place where I'd love to go and visit and play and that I've never been to. Awesome. So wrapping up, uh, who should we be looking out for uh, coming up and projects that you're working on that uh, people listening should be be seeing uh, and looking out for? Hey, man, I... Um, um, you got you guys should get it, it, I, I urge everybody out there to check out uh, the Cadillac threes record Tabasco and sweet tea it's I think it's one of the hippest things it's, that's come out it's definitely one of the hippest things to come out of Nashville yeah. in a long long time and I'm not saying that as a, a it, because of my relationship with those guys I'm saying that as a music lover I mean I, I mean you know how it is you rarely like listen to your own stuff that you work on yeah. <laughs> you know you just you don't wear your own swag and you don't listen to your and but i put that record on at least once a week and just crank it and um it's it's a great record i i would say listen to that um you know um there's a lot there's a lot of stuff out there there's and but i you know let me take it a different way there's a there's an artist named christian lopez that i i don't work with but i think he's i just heard his new record it's not out yet it's be out in march that's going to be that's a, a great record. Um, and, it, and it's innovative and it, it's cool and um, something you can look forward to. Um, those cup, those two things, you know, um, I, you know, everybody else is kind of working through other things, but I think that those, that, that Tabasco and Sweet Tea record by Cadillac three is, is gonna, it's a great record to put on, man. It, you won't be sorry. I'm going to listen to that tonight. Uh, one last little thing I, I thought might be, neat question for you do you think country music is going to come back like real country music um i don't think i i yeah i think it is back um mm. i i don't I, I you know people talk about well country music doesn't sound like country it ain't real country you know they're, but they're what they're doing is they're intellectualizing what they feel like mainstream top 40 country should sound like the yeah. country that gets on the on the radio, radio. you know yeah. what i mean on the on mainstream country radio well that's that's what you're talking about is can be found in Americana. It can be found in alt rock. It can be found in AAA, uh, you know, Jason Isbell, you're talking about, you know, those kinds of guys. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and uh, Brent Cobb, um, you know, those guys, um, I've got a, a, a young kid I work with named Caleb Lee Hutchinson and he, Brent Cobb produced his, his uh, his new record, five songs on his new record so far, and that'll come out. That's country's dog's breath, as I like to say. Yeah. Um, and there'll, there'll be kids like that because it feels like young kids. If you look at the streaming numbers on a traditional sounding country or new new alt country, whatever you know, the stuff that sounds is new but it's more traditional sounding. Yeah. Those numbers are really through the roof among eighteen to to thirty four year olds, and and even like with Craig Morgan, uh, if you look at his streaming numbers. I mean, he's been, he's been around for 20 years, but man, his, you know, there are young kids. I've talked to kids 20 years old. That'll say they love, that's what I love about Sunday. And that song came out in 2006, you know, and he's so traditional sounding. And uh, so, and his streaming numbers are huge uh, with 18 to 34 year olds. And so I, I think there's, it's, it's here now. I think it is, it is back. There's no, it's just the, titles of the genres the way people refer to them 
is cha- is changing. Yeah. Like with the with the Cadillac Three, their record that came out in February, they called it Country Fuzz because in my it, I say it this way: if you say something is Southern rock, it sounds like Southern rock. People instantly think of the 1970s. You think of you know the 70s Southern rock bands, Skinner yeah. and Molly Hatchet and all that kind of stuff. Um, but if you say Country Fuzz. That's a new thing, right? Yeah. The country fuzz really is just Southern rock. The country is Southern and the fuzz is the rock. So it's like, it's a whole new, it's a genre of of things, but it's a different, really, it's just a revamp of a way to look at Southern rock. And I think that country music, the way you're thinking of it, is doing the same thing. It's just called Americana or it's, you know, it's that kind of thing is happening. So I don't feel like it's ever gone away. I think those, those guys are, uh, there, you know, uh, there's a there's a lot of great songs and songwriting and artists in that world. Now I'm way into that stuff. I, I love it. I yeah. and I, I I just feel like it, it's just a really rich, full body of work that's out there. But you just have to dig a little deeper to find it, and you have to know where to look. And um, yeah, that's what I, that's that's my answer to that question. I guess that's a great answer. Actually, it's probably the best answer I've heard because <laughs> it's sort well, of like it's, well, it's it's a truthful answer <laughs> and it's it brings new light into that question, right? Because um, it's easy just to say, yeah, it's just all crap, you know, or whatever people want to say and, and label it. But the stuff is out there. Um, it oh, just, it's, I mean, yeah. look, Chris Stapleton is the poster boy yeah. for that, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, Chris Stapleton can't get, I mean, the guy can't get a hit on radio. You know, his songs take forever to get the charts. And the, and the one of the best teams in radio promotion work, work his stuff. Um, and I know they are beating people bloody to get those records up the charts. And it just, they won't test because the audience is a mainstream country audience. And that's not what his stuff is. Yeah. But he gets on the radio because he's so big and he, and he sells so many tickets and he's so popular. But really, he is kind of that, that is that's the country that you're talking about. It's out there. Yeah. Uh, and there are others like Chris, it, it's going to take a whole other format for those guys to find a place where they can get number one on that. Number two, number, you know what I mean? Yeah. Those that's another format. You know um, the problem is there's just not enough radio stations. The form, like I think the Americana reporting list is 16, 17 states, not very big. Yeah. Um, and non-com radio that plays that music doesn't even have a reporting chart and, and triple a, I mean, 20 some 30 some stations i don't it's just there's not a lot of stations that will report to the chart on there so you just need a more volume of of music out there and it'll find an audience but it's out there it's on on pandora you look at the look at the streaming numbers on that that's where the streaming numbers really can tell you that something's going on yeah yeah it makes sense well it's been awesome conversation uh just hang on we'll do a wrap up here but uh uh hope that you have a great year this year i know you're sounds like you're full steam ahead and uh i love Absolutely. i love chatting with people like that because it just actually gives you more inspiration um <laughs> sometimes you know you feel you work hard until you talk to someone who works harder and it's like crap i'm not doing enough <laughs> uh, you know what hey listen man i feel that way i mean yeah. I'll, I'll talk to two or three people today and i'll be god man i really gotta get my game together you know what i mean yeah it's there's, it's there's someone this yeah it's just like you know you think you're tough until you run into somebody tougher and there's always somebody tougher, you know, there is, yeah. uh, it's, it's that way with everything. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks again. And I appreciate it. And I yes, hope uh, everyone uh, really super enjoys this podcast. Yeah, I do too. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.